His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to season two, everybody. Yeah. Season two. Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, other than saying, hey, welcome back. It's it's another year. I mean, it's just been a week for you, but it's been a long year. Oh, my God, you guys. Uh, I, most of my housekeeping stuff I have for the end. Okay. But like, as far as like thanking people and stuff right, like that. Right. But I do kind of want to. Did you think that this that we would still be doing this in a year? I sure as shit hope so. Like, I bought all the gear. <laughs> no, I know. Well, because that's the thing is we were always kind of planning on doing a podcast. Yeah. And so the pandemic happened. Yeah. And while you work in a job that you could work remotely or most of your office could work remotely. So you still went in. Mm-hmm. Which is what I did. Because. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Working from home for me. I mean, I know it's great for a lot of people, but for me, I need a place where I can't work from mm-hmm. because I'm the type of person that will continue to follow up on things. You need to compartmentalize. Yeah. I need a space that is sacred. Right. Well, at the time I was working retail. Yeah. And what initially the store that I worked for initially, they were like, okay, we're going to close for two weeks and see how it goes. And then it was, okay, we're going to close for a month. Mm-hmm. And then it was, okay, we're going to be closed for several months and we don't know when we're going to open back up. Yeah. And that was terrifying for several reasons. Mm-hmm. But after about a week, two weeks of being at home every day. Cooped up. I had watched everything I had any interest in watching. Mm-hmm. I had cleaned the entire apartment yeah. twice. And I was, like, every day I was researching, like, a new hobby. Mm-hmm. You guys, I came so close to getting into, like, soap making and candle making and, like, all these different artsy things that finally David was just like, no, let's start the podcast. <laughs> I didn't say no, actually. The way I remember it is, is you said, hey, we've got the stuff. Let's give it a shot. And I said, okay, fair enough. What do we got to lose? Because basically I was like, I need something to focus on. Mm -hmm. I need something to do. Although we don't have the space for candle making. I'm just going to tell you right now. We don't have the space for any of the shit I was looking at doing. Well, fair. But I don't know. Now it's like I have this fun thing that I look forward to doing with you every week. Yeah. Does it occasionally stress me out? Absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like we're getting things... We've kind of like cut our teeth, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. We've yeah, learned yeah. what works for us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to help us make a better show going forward. I think so, too. So, yay. In case this is your first episode with us, I'm Tia. And I'm David. And this is the podcast where we talk about horror stuff. Yes. So, because the pandemic and me being furloughed is the main reason why we said, fuck it, let's go ahead and start doing the podcast. Yeah, I believe your words were, fuck it, we'll do it live. Yes. Even though this is recorded, but still. Fair. Yeah. We decided that this week we are going to talk about pandemic films. We figured it's been a year. I I think I pitched doing pandemic films, what, like eight months ago? Yeah. Fairly close to the beginning we thought thought about it, but it was like, it it still always felt like it was too soon. 
But I figure at this point, I'm fully vaccinated. You're one shot in two weeks away from being fully vaccinated. Yeah. Not only that, but like, it, it seems appropriate that because a pandemic is what started us on this journey, that we at least for our anniversary slash birthday episode, we look at pandemic films. Fair. We're not going to be looking at zombies. Mm-mm. That's a giant fucking topic that we're going to have to figure out how to tackle at some point. Yeah. Maybe in several pieces. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into it, dun, 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 this week in horror. Hell yeah. I know. So this movie's already been out for like a week or so, but mm-hmm. we hadn't watched it when we were recording last week. We hadn't watched it yet. Right. And that is the Mortal Kombat film that's mm-hmm. currently, uh, it's in theaters some places, I'm sure, but we watched it on HBO Max. Yep. I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. It was big, dumb fun. It was a lot of fan service. But I felt like at least the things that were put together were put together as respectfully as you could. Yeah, because I didn't grow up playing the Mortal Kombat games. I wasn't allowed. Mm. My sister and I were not allowed to play violent video games. When that girl shouts, use your uppercut. I'm use like, your uppercut. <laughs> it, it, I instantly got flashbacks. It's early in the movie, so it's not a spoiler. He's just doing this like local fight thing. It's an MMA fight, basically. Yeah, and... And I instantly was taken back to the arcade and hearing some like 13-year-old kid go, come on, use your uppercut, man. I love they they even like kind of nod to people that like to spam certain moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the little sweep kicks. Sweep kicks and it's the lines. It's very, it's fan service. It's, it's 100% fan service at times, but in the best way possible. Yeah, not at the expense of fans, but saying, here you go. Yeah, it's good enough that I am excited for them to do a sequel. I would love to see them do a sequel. Especially considering people have already been crying for Ryan Reynolds to play Johnny Cage. I have mixed feelings, but I mean, I'd be okay with it either he's, way. He's released a statement about it, apparently. Oh. I haven't read it yet, but I know. I'm sorry. <sighs> well, <laughs> we I had hope. We had to go grocery shopping instead. <laughs> um, fair. Um, so the other two things I have for this week in horror, two trailers for everybody to check out. The first is a trailer for the new Conjuring film. It's the Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. If nothing else, look at the thumbnail for it. The thumbnail, (laughs) I posted, no, I took a screenshot and posted it on our Twitter and it's, poor Patrick Wilson, they did him dirty with, to get a thumbnail of him making just the derpiest face. (laughs) Like, you could have told me it was a sequel to Dumb and Dumber and And I would have believed it. And you watch the trailer and that's supposed to be a serious moment, but I'm like, I can't take it seriously now. But it is based off of uh, one of their cases where someone actually tried to claim temporary insanity due to demonic possession. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the specific name of the case, but we'll talk about that more when it gets closer to the movie actually coming out. Yeah. The other trailer I have, it's not for a horror movie, Mm -hmm. but it's a movie that deals with the, the subject of Alzheimer's and dementia, which if that is something that runs in your family is terrifying. It absolutely is terrifying. Yeah. So the movie is called Here Today. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish. There are several other people in it as well, but they're the main focus. Mm-hmm. And it's basically about these two people becoming un- unlikely friendship kind of thing. And, and yeah. like the family that you build for yourself, that's, uh, that's just as important as the family that you're born with. Yeah, you're a found family. And sometimes you just hit it off with somebody, you know, as a friend in a platonic way. Yeah. And, and it, it, the trailer is so sweet. Like, I was almost tearing up. I did tear up because I came to the realization that this funny guy, Billy Crystal, that I've 
seen my whole life is getting older. It's the first time I've seen him in quite a while. Uh huh. And so it was a shock to me. It was kind of like uh, the first time I saw Dan Aykroyd after a long stint. Uh, when I first saw him in Gross Point Blank, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, Dan, what's going on?" And to just to see Billy Crystal aging because it's a natural thing. You know, we we do age. We People progress. get older. Yeah. And I don't know. It it kind of was a little shock to the system to see someone older, not in old makeup, but because yeah. they're older. Yeah. But yeah, check both of those trailers out. They look good, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's all I have for this week in horror. Sweet. I know. It's simple, short, whatever. Yeah. We have a bunch of housekeeping at the end of the episode, so that's... More housekeeping? We already picked up. No. Nope. Oh my god. Anyway, let's get to the films. Yes. The first film that we have picked for our Pandemics episode, because like I said, we're not doing zombies, but I feel like this isn't that. No, this is not that. So let's talk about the crazies. Mm, yes. Specifically the 2010 remake, mm-hmm. which I know some people aren't big fans of remakes. This one, I think, is very good. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but George Romero actually produced it. So there you go. So because when it comes to me when it co- with remakes, and I think I've said this before. Yeah. If the original creator is involved in some way, like as a producer or maybe they wrote the screenplay or, or even they're directing it. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't happen very often, realistically, but... Yeah, I mean, Funny Games is really the only thing I can think of off the top of my head where the the original director directed both. Right. So, yeah, George Romero was an executive producer on this, so he had a say, and Mm -hmm. I actually think the way it's done is really good. And it has Timothy Oliphant in it. It does. So, one of the things that I brought in, Mm -hmm. um, because with pandemic films, you do have sometimes you have, like, medical terms and stuff like that. So I kind of looked up the terms you might need to know mm-hmm. for a particular film. So there's only really one for the crazies, and it's a uh, rhabdovirus. Rhabdovirus? The, yes, rhabdovirus. So a rhabdovirus is any of a group of viruses constituting the family rhabdoviridae. Is that like rabies? It is. It actually is. It's responsible for rabies and vesicular stomatitis of cattle and horses. Okay, that sounds like a, I mean, props to you for saying those words, but that went right over my head. Because that sounded like you said testicular, and I'm and I'm like, oh, that sounds bad. No, it's it's not. It's vesticular? Vesicular. Oh, vesicular. So vessels. Okay. So that's the only big thing that you need to know, because they, they specifically, at, at one point, they say rhabdovirus. And okay. I, I had to pause the movie and, like, Google it. I was like, what the fuck is a rhabdovirus? Um, that sounds like a made-up word. I knew it was, le- it sounded le- like a legit. I was like, eh, let's look it up and it's legit. Okay. I'll get into it here in a little bit. So the plot of this film, when a military cargo plane crashes, an experimental bioweapon is released into the water supply of Ogden Marsh, a small farming town in Iowa. The weapon, codenamed Trixie, turns those infected into mindless, violent psychopaths. With the town under quarantine and the situation growing increasingly deadly, Sheriff David Dutton must find a way out with his wife, pregnant daughter Judy. Daughter Not Judy. Not daughter Judy, pregnant Dr. Judy. Oh, Dr. Judy. Okay, sorry. Goddamn Jetsons. <laughs> uh, so it was directed by Breck Eisner, who, yes, is related to Michael Eisner. Okay. It's his son. Oh, okay. Because I, I meant to look it up earlier, and I had forgotten, so I did it this morning. 
So you still like, looked it up. I did still look it up. And it was earlier. Cool, because you know, sometimes you see last names and you're like, oh, I wonder if that's they're related to such and such. And most of the time they're not. Right. Nope. He's Michael Eisner's kid. Cool. Screenplay by Scott Koser and Ray Wright. Like I said, it is based off of the George Romero film from 73. Okay. The main cast, there is quite a... There's like a lot of other players, but I really had just have like the main four that we kind of follow. Right. So Timothy Oliphant is David Dutton. Not Josh Duhamel. Not Josh Duhamel. That is correct. Because I was convinced that Josh Duhamel was in this movie. I even Googled it and I saw a bunch of results saying Josh Duhamel in the crazies. But then when you actually read it, they, the articles all say, no, it's Timothy Oliphant. See, and that's the funny thing is what did I say a couple weeks ago when we did an episode and I was like, it's Josh Duhamel. Don't confuse him for Timothy Oliphant. And you were like, oh, I don't confuse the two. And then you did. Well, <laughs> well, in reverse, in yeah, reverse. I know. Uh, so Timothy Oliphant, he's done a, quite a lot of things. People will know him more recently for Santa Clarita Diet, mm-hmm. but um, he was also Mickey in Scream 2. Yeah. And he was Pete, one of the four friends in Dreamcatcher. Yes. Uh, Rada Mitchell is Judy. She was Rose in the Silent Hill films. Mm-hmm. Joe Anderson is Russell Clank. He was Matthias in The Ruins. Okay, yeah. And then Danielle Panabaker is Becca. She was uh, Jenna in the 2009 Friday the 13th with uh, Motivated Jason. Motivated Jason, yeah. Uh, She was also Caitlin Snow in the Arrowverse. Okay. So this film had a budget of 20 million, box office of 55. So not too bad. No, not bad. I mean, you're not going to get, you know, a billion dollar... And th- this isn't Marvel. <laughs> well, no. So my fun facts. Mm-hmm. I have a couple. You're a fan of Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Yes, I am. So the film Dr. Strangelove ends with the detonation of a nuclear weapon while the song We'll Meet Again, mm-hmm. performed by Vera Lynn, plays. Yes. The opening credits for this film featured Johnny Cash's rendition of the same song. Huh. Which is interesting when you consider that the film ends with a nuclear weapon being deployed. Oh, shit. I know. Not only that, this is actually the second time that a Johnny Cash song has been used in the opening credits of a Romero remake. Really? Yeah. Uh, Both songs are actually also from the same album. They're from American 4. Okay. The other one is The Man Comes Around, which oh. is uh, which is in the opening credits of uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, now I remember. Yeah. And yeah. that's a great song to open a horror movie with. Oh my God, it's so good. That one in particular, especially with the... This is not that episode. <laughs> but, but yeah, well... With the montage. It's very mm-hmm. good. So I mentioned that they tried to be realistic when it came to the... The symptoms of Trixie, as well as the the general look. Mm -hmm. So apparently, the director, he basically had one rule for the makeup department. And that is that they had to research and consult with medical professionals for the design of the infected. Okay. So they they looked stuff up in medical journals, and they actually talked to health professionals and stuff like that to kind of figure out what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So the basis that they ended up using was a combination of rabies, mm-hmm. tetanus, and Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Okay. Do not Google Stevens-Johnson syndrome, you guys. I fucked up and Googled it. I really shouldn't have. That bad, huh? Uh, it's a form of necrotizing fasciitis. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Which is, mm-hmm. necrotizing fasciitis is kind of like a, 
we talked about it in, when we talked about cabin flesh, fever. Yeah, flesh basically, eating disease. The flesh is yeah, it's a yeah. it's a, your flesh rots. Yeah. It's real gross. And there was when I googled it, there was a great big picture. Oh, so it's like oh, so you want to see this? Do you? Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of glad I was no longer eating breakfast while I looked that. <laughs> I would imagine so. Because uh, yeah, no, that wouldn't no. But yeah, the application of the makeup took three hours per person. Ooh. I know. It's insane. So let's get into my watch thoughts. Yes, let's. So the opening credits for this film, they're kind of showing like Ogden Marsh and the surrounding area. It's this little farming town in Iowa. Yeah. And I was watching this and I'm like, this looks like so many towns that I drive through on my way to visit my grandparents. Yeah, a lot of rural Missouri farming towns. Any Midwest farming town or yeah. agricultural based town. It looked like northeast Missouri, southwest Illinois. Yeah. It looked familiar to me. I was like, man, I, I totally believe that I drive through places like that. Mm-hmm. Easily. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, I kind of have points. I'm trying to be more organized when I talk about a film instead of just saying random shit. My brain is a hard thing to follow. Yes, it is. <laughs> I've known this for about a decade, but that's okay. Okay. I'm learning. I'm okay. still learning every I day. I know. I know. But I'm trying to be helpful, not just to you, but to our audience. Because not all of our audience are people who have known me since high school. Fair. And can understand the leaps that my brain makes. <laughs> Very fair. So the beginning of the film, it's kind of just stuff's going on like normal. It's mm-hmm. the opening day of baseball season. So the whole town is at the high school baseball game. Mm-hmm. And this dude just starts walking out onto the fields. With a shotgun. And nobody knows what the fuck is going on. So, of course, David, the sheriff, just kind of, like, goes out there and is like, hey, what are you doing? Because it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Right. But I'm watching him, like, try and talk this guy down because there's clearly something already kind of wrong with him. And he's got a shotgun. And he continues trying to talk him down. It's not until he actually, like pulls up the shotgun to shoot that he actually takes out his gun and shoots him. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching that scene and thinking about stuff that's going on in the world currently. And I'm like, so police are capable of trying to talk to someone instead of just shooting them. At least in the movies. At least in the movies. I don't know. Probably helped that the person with the gun was an older white man, but whatever. Yeah. So they kind of, this guy, basically he's a recovering alcoholic, Mm -hmm. but he's been sober for like two years. So they just assume, they're like, well, he had to have been on something because it didn't make any sense for him to do what he did. Right. But unfortunately, this being a very small town, it's going to take like two weeks for them to get the toxicology reports. Yeah. And all the blood work and everything. Mm -hmm. Well, like the next day, this family, the Farnums, come into Judy's doctor's office because the wife is like, there's something wrong with my husband. He's just not himself. Right. And he's just being very like wooden. Like, he's repeating phrases that he's saying. So Judy's, like, trying to diagnose and figure out what's going on with him. And he's like, she worries too much. And she's like, okay, well, well, how are you feeling about this? And blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, she worries too much. And I'm sorry, I would not let someone who was acting like that leave. Mm-mm. But she's like, yeah, it's it's probably fine. Let him rest up over the weekend. That doesn't go well. 
No, I mean, you know, ship him, ha- have him get some neurological tests, some, you know, yeah, send him to a bigger town. Well, and that's the thing she was talking about. She's like, well, on Monday, I have to go to Cedar Rapids. So on Monday, I'll take him with me and we'll do some more advanced tests and stuff like that. So that night, basically, they hear some weird, something out going out on out at the barn. Right. And the mom goes out there and the combine harvester is just running and the lights are on. So she can't tell if he's in it or not, but I see her like standing in front of the combine harvester that's running in front of open barn doors. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching this and I'm like, absolutely not. Right. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, in fairness, she doesn't know she's in a horror movie. I mean, that's true, but like your husband's been acting weird. And now you think he's in the combine harvester in the middle of the night and it's running don't just stand in front. That's just dangerous. Fair. Basic uh, safety. Yeah. So she goes back to the house. Her son is in the closet because he's like, dad's got a knife. Something weird is going on. They're hiding in the closet upstairs and he locks it from the outside with a key, mm-hmm. which I'm just thought was very weird because I'm like, what what closet has a key lock? Number one. That one. Right. What? I mean, you know, it's not it's not common. Bitch, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) No, I know it's not common. It's not common. And if it was, why would it why would you have it locked from the outside? Mm. Because if you were to say, let's have this as like a safety thing, like Mm. a cheapo panic room. No, I, I, I think it would lock from the outside because you don't want people getting in your closet to get to your. What I'm saying is if you were going to lock yourself in the closet, it would be I don't know. Either way, it doesn't work out well because he locks them in the closet and then pours gasoline throughout the house and lights it on fire. Mm, Yeah. And then when the fire department and the police show up, he's just mowing the lawn and humming to himself. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Yeah, it's like two o'clock in the morning or some shit. So basically, David kind of figures out that something crashed into this particular bog. Mm-hmm. And that bog drains into this, which drains into this, which supplies the drinking water for the entire county. It's in the water. For this enti- or maybe not the county, the town, basically. Mm, yeah. Um, so they're kind of figuring out, well, this guy who was at the baseball game, the way the water filtration place works, the water would get to his place first. So he had been exposed to it the longest, which is why he was first. And then it goes to this place, these people, the Farnums. So he goes immediately goes to the mayor and is like, we need to shut off the water. There's something wrong with the water. We need to shut it off. And the mayor's like, it's spring and we're a farming community. If you shut off the water, the crops will die and we'll all go bankrupt. Absolutely not. Hmm. Sounds like Jaws. I know. That was my thing. I was like, what the fuck is it with elected officials and horror movies that are just like, they suck. they're not wanting to take precautions about anything. Yeah, no, they're like, no money. Because I think the mayor in the fog is also, like, doing the same shit. Uh, just ignore the, the, the pirates. It's a thing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So very quickly, it, it the military shows up. Mm. And people start being kind of separated. They have the people that they're going to evacuate. Mm-hmm. And the people that have a high temperature. So they're basically keeping them locked up. Right. Quarantine. Ju- yeah. Judy, because she's pregnant, has a high temperature. Mm-hmm. So they separate her and David. The thing that I like with the whole detainment and evacuation thing, it, it the scenes go on for a while and you kind of get to see both sides. Mm-hmm. 
But the thing I like about it, I was watching it and I was like, you know what? I can confidently say that the United States is not that organized when it comes to dealing with a viral outbreak. No. Having lived through a pandemic now. <laughs> it's clearly a The way that they film. have this stuff, uh, the way, they, the how yeah. organized they are. I'm like, nope. I mean, may- maybe there are protocols for one single individual town because they might have protocols in place because you said it was their weapon that won up. Well, because they knew the plane crashed. So sounds like cover up. Well, it definitely is. Mm. So basically, Judy gets separated from David. She's put in quarantine where basically all the people that are quarantined are basically strapped to gurneys and left to their own devices. Not not how quarantine which works. Is not how that should work. We all know this now. Yeah. <laughs> and all the people who are being evacuated are basically being taken to this truck stop outside of town. And David is talking to one of the other townspeople about, you know, like I can't just leave my wife. Mm-hmm. I have to do something. And this guy, his wife was also taken. And he's like, it's a lost cause. And David goes, I'm sorry, did you just call your wife a lost cause? And finally, David says, one of my favorite lines of the movie, and that is, don't ask me why I can't leave without my wife, and I won't ask you why you can. Mm. I just fucking love that line. You do you, Lash LaRue, and I'll do me. It's like, don't ask me why I need my wife, and I won't ask you why you don't need yours. It just really shows that there are two types of people when Mm -hmm. it comes to their loved ones. There are, you know ride or die relationships and then there are fair weather relationships Mm. and this other dude and his wife is clearly as long as everything is going fine you're my wife and i love you but the second shit hits the fan and it's like oh you're infected with this thing and i'm not peace yeah which absolutely not yeah no that's uh i mean you kind of see that in everyday things too you've got friends that are like hey you know i need help Mm -hmm. and it's like well, I mean, if pizza and beer aren't involved, uh, I'm not coming. Yeah. You know, whether it's moving or just someone to talk to. Yeah, that is fair. Although I'm at the age now where I will talk to people, but I I can't help you move. <laughs> I mean, I can help organize a move. I'll pitch in ten bucks for you to pay for to pay movers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my back has been through too much. Yeah. So eventually, David does get back to where Judy is. Judy's assistant, Becca, Mm -hmm. is also there. And um, David also finds Russell, his deputy. Right. And they're basically trying to figure out a way to get the fuck out of town. Mm -hmm. So as they're walking towards the... Basically, they have a disused police car out at David's farm. So they're going to go to get the car. Well, while they're doing this, they're walking past Becca's boyfriend's farm right and there's like military personnel that are there and they basically end up taking this one guy temporarily hostage basically to be like what the fuck is going on and essentially they're doing like an operation clean sweep kind of thing where they're just trying to he's like i don't know what no this isn't the guy sorry there's a different guy that they learned this from this guy is basically just like a random soldier and he's like, I don't know what go- what's going on. I didn't even know we were what state we were in until we got here and I saw the, you know, license plates. Mm-hmm. And he he says, basically tells them, you know, just give me my shit and I will let you guys go because I didn't sign up to shoot unarmed civilians. And that's when we find out shit's getting real. Right. 
Well, and it's because later on they do get to the truck stop, mm-hmm. like David and Judy do. Right. And none of the people that were supposedly being evacuated were actually being evacuated. They were basically being loaded onto cattle trucks and then shot. Fuck. Yeah. One of the other parts of this film I do like is um, Becca ends up getting killed. And so it's just Judy, David and Russell kind of Mm -hmm. trying to walk to this truck stop to get evacuated. And you can tell something's going on with Russell. Yeah, he's he's acting a little off. But there is a moment where David finally has had enough and kind of like knocks him out. And he's just kind of kneeling on the ground and he looks at David with just this the saddest look on his face and he says i'm not right am i yeah and it's just one of the saddest lines in a horror movie that i've ever seen the realization that you think you're the hero until you realize you can't help anymore yeah that's that's terrifying yeah that's that's sitting that that's that's running into a burning house saying, I have the training, I have the skills, I'm physically fit, and not realizing that you're not the young, spry, firefighting trained person you were 20 years ago. Right. And you get winded going halfway up the stairs and go, I'm going to die in this building if I don't leave. You know, that that's a shock. That's, oh, yeah. Because I know a lot of people in, in emergency services, whether firefighting, law enforcement, uh, you know, emergency medical folks, it becomes part of who you are. Even military, you know, it becomes part of your identity mm-hmm. when you realize you're no longer the solution. You're the, you're becoming the problem. Yeah. That's hard to swallow. Yeah. Well, and I, it's, it's so sad because you can tell he didn't even realize it until that moment. Mm-hmm. But because he, because he is sick, he's a basically able to, sacrifice himself to give Judy and David a way to get past this military blockade to get closer to getting out of town, basically. So they do end up learning from another military intelligence guy. Basically the military is going to, is doing like a clean sweep kind of thing. They're basically just going to nuke the town and say, Oh, this is what happens. And it was a tragedy to stop anyone from knowing how badly they fucked up, basically. I mean, this is a small town in Iowa, not Raccoon City. Well, they still do it. Yeah. So here's my thing, though. Mm-hmm. What about the people that are from Ogden Marsh, but weren't in the town at the time that it was nuked? Like, what are they going to tell these people? Like, I'm sorry, you can never go back to your town because it was... Because like kids off to college and yeah, people because visiting the, relatives, stuff like that. Yeah, because the um, during the credit sequence, there is actually like a news reel that basically says that there was um, an explosion at the chemical plant in town and the fires raged out of control and that caused an explosion at a gas station and it just ended up spiraling out of there. But here's the thing. Regular old, like the town burning down with regular old fire you would still expect that if you weren't in the town at the time, you could attempt to go back in and be like, I want to look through my house, Mm. see if I can find any, you know, heirlooms or anything that maybe didn't get damaged in the fire. So what is your explanation going to be for these people when they're like, Oh, I want to go back to this town and see if anything is still there. And you like, what are you going to shoot them? Yeah. 
can you are you going to tell them oh you can't because it's a nuclear site like how are you going to explain that it's a nuclear site it just seems weird Mm. not to mention the fact like i said at the beginning of this particular film discussion this town looks like so many little towns that i drove through Mm-hmm. on my way to visit my grandparents. Are you telling me there's not a single person who doesn't just randomly drive through this town on their way to visit family? Yeah, like you're that's gonna a ha- great point. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It does have a downer ending, which I like. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of happy endings. Well, because in, uh, earlier in the film, when there's they show like these satellite images mm-hmm. of, and it's a, like stuff comes up on the screen. It's like Ogden Marsh, population this many, like, initiate containment protocols and at the end of the film it's just david and judy basically walking towards cedar rapids and you get another one of those satellite images and it says cedar rapids population like 128,000 some odd and then initiate containment protocols yeah it uh it's just i like downer endings like that i don't know why nothing against anyone in iowa i know we have listeners in iowa but yeah no i iowa folks are perfectly fine it's just for me a downer ending makes me think more and causes more of a discussion whereas a happily ever after Hayes code type everything's all right ending, yeah it just kind of leaves it leaves the story right where it stopped and yeah. it's like oh i guess there's nothing to think about or or worry about or discuss any longer right exactly so let's get into our other film Mm -hmm. and i think prior to the events of 2020 i'm not sure people would have necessarily considered this to be a horror film Mm -hmm. i do but i don't know i mean let's see there's there's some gore Mm -hmm. where are we still talking about the crazies no we're talking about our next film okay there there is some gore there there's uh definitely some some horrific things that happen yeah yeah it's horror mm-hmm. so let's talk about 1995's outbreak yes i believe actually back in march of last year it was one of the highest played films on netflix if i it, recall it was like trending everywhere it was for so for the month of march of 2020 it was in netflix's top 10 of most watched movies during the month of march so most of y'all have probably seen this. If you haven't, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. I know it's currently on HBO Max because that's where I watched it. Mm-hmm. So terms to know for this film. Wow, we're getting an education, folks. We have we have several terms to know for this film. The first is USAMRID. Yes. So USAMRID is the abbreviation for the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. So basically, it is a section within the U.S. military that researches things like Hanta, Ebola. Mm-hmm. I, I know I saw um, when they were doing the lab breakdown, um, HIV. SARS. SARS, anthrax, things like that. Right. Anything that could potentially be used as a biological weapon for research, I guess. Well, for various things. Yeah. And then we have the CDC. Yeah, which Cent- again Centers for disease control. Cent- yeah, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. The P is silent. The P, yeah, they, they just go by <laughs> CDC. Well, I think it, I think it used to be just the Center for Disease Control, and then they added prevention, and then just still just called it CDC. Kind of like how the ATF has expanded all of their words and their title, but they just still call it the ATF. They, they still just call it the ATF. Yeah. So the CDC, they're located in uh, Atlanta, mm-hmm. I think. 
they do similar stuff to use Samarid, but on a more more civilian based. Yeah. And then the last term I have is VHF. So very Vic- high frequency. Victor Hotel Frank. No. VHF is uh, stands for viral hemorrhagic fever. Oh. So viral hemorrhagic fever is an infectious disease that can cause severe life-threatening illness. Basically, viral hemorrhagic fever, it damages the walls of the blood ve- of your like very small blood vessels, mm-hmm. causing them to leak, which can cause internal bleeding. And it can also hamper the blood's ability to clot. Okay, so um, so then you've got basically a byproduct would be side effect of a bleeding disorder mm-hmm. along with internal bleeding and... Yeah. The internal bleeding that's caused is not usually life-threatening. It's the other, the other stuff that comes along with it, basically. Okay. So like fever, having trouble breathing, excessive internal bleeding can cause issues with brain function too, depending on localization. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I find medical shit interesting. It is interesting. It's it's uh, it's terrifying, too, but it is also interesting. Fair enough. But I give you these terms because it makes giving my breakdowns on shit more. It makes it easier. So the plot. Mm-hmm. Colonel Sam Daniels, a youth Samarid virologist, is sent to investigate a deadly outbreak in Zaire. The disease, a fictional VHF codenamed Motaba, is highly infectious and has a 100% mortality rate in just over 24 hours. Fearing the virus will spread, he warns his superiors, who ignore him, and his ex-wife, Roddy, who is a head virologist at the CDC. When the disease is discovered in the small coastal town of Cedar Creek, California, Sam, Roddy, and their teams quickly realize just how deadly it is and how far the military will go to stop it from getting out. Mm. Yes. I, lo- I love this movie. I didn't realize you were not a huge fan until we watched it. <laughs> I mean, I've given it many, many tries. I have fewer issues with it now, mm-hmm. but I think I've pinpointed my issues with the film. Okay. Well, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Let me Fair. let me do my facts. Yes, facts. Uh, so it was directed by Wolfgang Peterson, hmm. which is a big one of the bigger names that's not, as far as in this podcast, that's not specifically horror. You know what I mean? I don't know who Wolfgang Peterson is. Oh, hang on. I thought you were going to say Wolfgang Puck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Wolfgang Peterson, he's a German director. He directed Air Force One. Oh, shit. Okay. Poseidon, the Poseidon remake. He did. Enemy Mine? Mm hmm. Das Boot? Never Ending Story. He's done a lot. Okay. Well, a never-ending story could be a horror in itself in some parts, too. So. It is for me, but that's just because I have bad associations with it. So mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that tracks. He's a big deal. Or a big-ish deal, I guess. He's a big deal. He, ma- he made parts of my childhood. Fair. So the screenplay is by Lawrence Dorrit and Robert Roy Poole. It's actually based on a novel called The Hot Zone by Richard Preston. Okay. The cast... And you guys, I actually got to do something fun this time when it comes to my cast mm-hmm. and the other stuff they might have been in. So normally I'm doing these, I'm doing horror movies where like I have very little of what other people might have heard of that I right. can say, oh, they've also done this and they've also done this. Because this is technically not a horror movie per se and has a bigger cast, I was basically able to just pick my favorite things that some of these actors have been in. Ooh, can I give you my favorite too? Yes. So we got two doses. Fuck yeah, let's do it. High five. All right. 
Audio uh, murder. It's not that bad. Okay. So first we have Dustin Hoffman, who plays Colonel Sam Daniels, MD. Mm-hmm. He was the voice of Master Shifu in Kung Fu Panda. He's also Captain Hook in Hook. Yeah. Are you trying to think of stuff that Dustin Hoffman's been in that you like? No. Why? <laughs> I've already got mine. What oh, are yours? Well, you said you were going to give one. You gave two. Okay. I was just waiting my turn. Oh, go for it. Rain Man. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Rain Man. See? That's why I made it. Made a point to mention that one. Renee Russo is Dr. Roddy Keough. Uh, she was Frigga in the MCU. She's also Lorna in Lethal Weapon. Damn it. That's the one I was That was pick. your one? Okay. Lorna, Lorna Dune. I'll start just saying one. No, no, no. Please, please. I, I, I want to see where our minds are melding. Okay. Then we have Morgan Freeman, mm. who is Brigadier General Billy Ford, MD. He was Azim in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's also Detective Somerset in Seven. He was also in Dreamcatcher, which you mentioned earlier. That's but, right. But that's not my favorite film with him. But that is the Epic flattest, eyebrows in that movie. And the flattest flat top you've ever seen in your yeah. life, folks. My favorite Morgan Freeman movie is probably still going to be Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, that's up there too. Donald Sutherland is Major General Donald Donnie McClintock. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things is one of his older roles, and that was uh, Matthew Bunnell in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mine would be MASH. Yes! Uh, such a good movie. Such a good movie. Kevin Spacey's Lieutenant Colonel Casey Schuler, MD. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was John Doe in Seven. Yep. Cuba Gooding Jr. is Major Salt, MD. Yes. He was uh, in... What's that Tom Cruise movie? Jerry, Jerry Maguire. Maguire. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Snow Dogs for a minute there. No. Uh, he was also O.J. Simpson in American Crime Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's in one of your favorite movies. Yes, he is. Men of Honor. Yes, he is uh, Chief Carl Brashear in Men of Honor. Patrick Dempsey is Jimbo Scott. Yeah, it's a guy <laughs> named Jimbo. I mean, you, like, that's the thing that threw me, because you see Patrick Dempsey, and you're like, oh, Grey's Anatomy, and, he and gr- this. I tell you what, though, he grimes up good. Oh, he does grime up good. There's a, uh, there's a term that people have made on the internet that is the opposite of cleans up well, and that is grimes up good. Is that a, oh so that's the thing? I it's thought a thing. You just made it up. No, okay. it's a thing. Um, so, for example, a lot of people uh, use as their example uh, Henry Cavill. Oh yeah, he does grime up good because when he's like all clean cut in his suit and everything, you're just kind of like meh. But then when you dirty him up a little bit and make him be Geralt of Rivia, then you're like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Superman. Eh. Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> yes, but yeah, Patrick Dempsey, Derek Shepard on Grey's Anatomy. Um, he, he's also been in various fantasy rom-coms. Rom-coms and stuff, yeah. Mm. Zake Smoke is Dr. Benjamin Iwabi. Mm-hmm. He was a Dargent Patrod in the, Sur- uh, the Serpent and the Rainbow. Yes. And the last person I mentioned isn't a huge role in the film, but I felt like I had to mention him. Dale Dye is Lieutenant Colonel Briggs. Yes. He was Captain Harrison Platoon, but he's also from Cape Girardeau. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, which is in Missouri, which is where we are. I just thought it was neat. We don't often have actors that are from Missouri in stuff we're talking about. Look, I'm a transplant, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it here because like I I, I was born on a in a coastal state. Yeah. Cape of what? What Cape is a coastal thing. I didn't I, name the damn place. Uh, okay. I'm not even I'm not from there and I've never been there, so why don't you ask somebody else? <laughs> I don't know. We're a landlocked state. I know, I know. Let's move on. Okay. Budget of $50 million. Okay. 
box office of 189.8. Nice. Which is not too bad. As far as fun facts go, you mentioned one of mine, which is the resurgence in popularity Mm -hmm. as of March 2020, where a 25-year-old film got into Netflix's (laughs) top 10, because apparently everybody that was home is like, gallows humor. (laughs) One of the problems that I have with this movie, and I know this is is an issue for you too, is... um, the the monkey that they use mm-hmm. is a capuchin monkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, capuchin monkeys are actually not indigenous to Africa. Right. They're they like they, South American, aren't they? South and Central America. Yeah. It actually would have been. I I googled. I was curious. I was like, is there a monkey that they could have used from that region of Africa? Mm-hmm. So it actually would have been more accurate if they had used a dry ass monkey. A dry ass monkey. I was trying specifically not to pronounce it as dry ass. Sorry. It's D-R-Y-A-S. Dry as. Okay. I'm sorry. Would you like to see what they look like? I'd love to see your dry ass. David? (laughs) Fucking bitch. You're going to give yourself a stitch again. Doubles. Ow. So this is what they look like. Okay. Some of them have blue butts. There's the coloration is different depending on if it's a male or a female. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. The only reason I can figure that they used capuchin monkeys instead is cuz they're prob- they're uh, probably easier to train, probably more readily available. That too. Cuz be- well, if you're if it's easy to train, then there are going to be more of them available. Actually, the monkey that they used in this, the capuchin that they used is yeah. the same one that they used on Friends for Marcel. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things I thought was really interesting, when Daniels and his team go to Zaire to this village to kind of investigate this outbreak, as they're walking through the village, you see several huts in the background that are burned down and there's clearly like burned bodies in them. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this is a nod to a traditional tribal method for controlling the spread of an infection in various parts of the world. Okay. So when you have these small small villages and stuff like that, when you have an infectious disease or something like this, they'll usually le- make the person who's sick basically stay in their house, mm-hmm. and they will leave like food and water outside the entrance. And basically, if you're sick, you stay in your home. We'll leave you food and water, but you can't leave your house. So quarantine. It, yeah, it's essentially quarantine. But if several days worth of supplies aren't used, usually like three to four days worth, Mm -hmm. then they basically just burn that house down to stop the infection from spreading, which is clearly what they tried to do in this village. But it spread so quickly and had such a high mortality rate that it just got away from them, unfortunately. One of the other interesting things, you know, I like to look at other actors that were in talks. Yeah, in in talks for being in the film. There were three that were in talks for for, uh, Colonel Daniels. Okay. Um, Dustin Hoffman's character? Dustin Hoffman's character. Okay. So Harrison Ford. Mm, yeah, maybe. Mel Gibson. Okay. And Sylvester Stallone. But they all turned it down. And I actually kind of like that they did because I feel like Dustin Hoffman plays this role very well. Because yeah. he's not your typical action lead. No. So it lends a little bit it lends a little bit more drama to the situation and credibility to his and credibility. The, exactly. There's, there's a part where he has to jump from a helicopter to a boat. I mean, it's not a long jump. It's like what, maybe five feet tops, five to 10. And 
you seeing any of those other folks doing it, you would like, not have been worried about them. Whereas I'm like, careful, you know, because he's, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a doctor. Yeah. He's, he's not an action hero. Right. Exactly. Like he's, he's in the military, but he's a military doctor. Like he researches infectious disease. So. Although side note, doctors are heroes. Yes. Medical, medical staff, medical you're doing professionals a great job. in general are heroes. Yeah. So let's get into my watch thoughts. Mm, yes. Uh, so the opening of the film, it kind of shows after the after the cold open where they show a camp being blown up because of the Motaba virus. Mm-hmm. They basically kind of take us on like a mini tour of the USAMRID facility mm-hmm. and the different levels. Yes. I did have a problem. I think it's because of the, the, the pandemic and we know how PPE works now. And have a better well, understanding of like... Some of us do. Yeah, right. Well, and we also have, I think the world at large were amateurs when it came to understanding and being able to spot the difference between, okay, that's a dust mask or, you know, that's a respirator that you would probably use if you were like sanding something, but that may not necessarily help you with an infectious disease. Yeah. One thing that they do use later in the film is they do have, um, they're called pappers. Yeah. Which it's, um, it's a negative air pressure Thing. I don't remember exactly how they work. There's a Wired video that I'll, I'll post later mm-hmm. uh, when this episode goes live. That basically there's a it, it explains how it um, keeps basically fresh air inside the suit without risking contain- contamination. Mm-hmm. They do use those later, which I do I do like. But at this particular juncture, <laughs> you see someone leaving like it's a level two or level three door hasn't even closed yet and they're taking off their mask and i'm like whoa yeah calm down i also saw someone go from one room to another and and touch something with their gloved hand yeah to gain access to the next room and i'm like "Uh uh-uh no you're like no 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 no. i don't know what you've been touching you haven't washed your gloves or put other gloves over those gloves so uh you nasty yeah so let's move let's talk a little bit about jimbo scott Okay, yeah, let's talk about Jimbo Scott. So Jimbo Scott, played amazingly by Pat, by a very young Patrick Dempsey, basically he smuggles a monkey from Africa, even though it's a capuchin monkey, but we've already talked about that, to sell to this pet store in California. Mm-hmm. Because basically this pet store owner has a guy who already has a female and he wants to breed them. Right. So... After he is unable to sell it because the one he has is also a female, he just kind of lets it go in the woods. Like, off you go. It, it turns out to be like Pacific Palisades, mm-hmm. <laughs> which that's not where <laughs> that would that monkey would die. <laughs> it's far too cold. Yeah, I'm sure. And and it would it would have to survive on foraging. And mm, I mean, it's got some advantages, but a lot of disadvantages there. Like yeah, I mean, California. we do find out that a little girl's been feeding it, but still. Yeah. Like he just looks like he gets on the on a plane to go home to Boston and he looks like absolute shit. But he gets off the plane and he's like sweaty and his eyes are bloodshot and he just he looks like he is on day four of the worst flu that you have ever seen in your life. And his girlfriend is just like throws herself into his arms and is like, hey, baby, oh, my gosh, you don't look so well. And then just sticks her tongue in his fucking mouth. Yeah, I'm sorry. I love you, babe. But if you were like just profusely like that, I'd be like, let me get you something. I'm not touching you. No, no joke. What does it say in my notes? 
I love David, but if he came home looking like Jimbo, I wouldn't touch him, let alone stick my tongue down his throat. Yeah, so you and I would be doing great. Well, I love you too. I love you, but I'm, no, absolutely fucking not. You stay away from me. I will help take care of you, but I will use precautions, and yeah, there's... No, don't touch me. I don't, you just got off a plane and you look like ass. I'm going to call you a cab to take you to a hospital. I'll meet you there. Yeah, (laughs) that would be appropriate. Yeah. So because of this weird infectious disease, the doctors don't know what it is. They call the CDC. Roddy and her small team go to check it out. And they go to where they have Jimbo and his girlfriend. Because his girlfriend is, of course, now sick because she she basically licked a fucking Petri dish. Yep. Named Jimbo. Right, exactly. Uh, no offense to any Jimbos out there. Right. Just... And Ronnie is trying to talk to him to be like, hey, what? Basically trying to figure out where he was that he could have gotten sick. Right, right. But here's the problem with that. Yeah. He is innovative. Yeah. Now, I know not everyone grew up with uh, respiratory therapist parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I did. Mm-hmm. So I am fully aware of the fact that when someone is intubated, they cannot talk. Because they've got a tube. Yeah. They, down they, there. It's not just like it's difficult. They literally can't. There are medical documentation that actually teaches like nurses and people how to talk to someone who is intubated or how to communicate with someone who is intubated. Right. And a lot of the times involves writing things down. Or I saw something that has like a computer screen, basically, where they can choose different options, Mm -hmm. like their pain levels and and things of that nature. The reason someone can't talk when they're intubated, and I asked my mom because I was curious, is because that tube actually goes through your vocal cords. So the vocal cords have no way to vibrate to make noise, which means that physically incapable. Yeah, it is. You are physically incapable of speaking. And I feel like a CDC virologist should know that, but whatever. Anyway, that's my medical soapbox that I got on so that my mom doesn't have to. <laughs> can, can, can I can I step on a soapbox for a second? Go for it. This is a great movie. I know Tia pointed out I don't really care for the movie. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. The score for the movie, for me, feels very incongruous. So it's kind of like, this is not... to put judgment on anyone who likes out of the way or eccentric type tastes but usually when you think of something like maybe a hamburger you might think ketchup and mustard most people don't think hey how about you know grape jelly and horseradish although that actually come to think of it that could probably be good but you know what i mean like it's it's you have some you have a picture in your mind yeah it i remember us discussing the score and you said it sounded very generic like 90s action score yeah Although, really, considering Wolfgang Peterson is the guy who directed it, and he also directed Air Force One. Yeah, yeah, it's tracking now. Yeah. And if I recall, the composer for this film also did Dave in 93. I think so. So. I think so, yeah. I I know so because I researched it, but I can't remember the composer's name at the moment. No, you're fine. So one other thing I do want to say... as far as like my watch thoughts and stuff go, mm-hmm. they talk about there being like about a cure or an anti serum and that kind of thing. There, it, it's one hundred percent as far as I'm aware is fictional because there aren't cures or anti or anti serums for VHFs. Right. Like once you get it, you're fucked. I know there is some treatment for rabies, but like 
you have to VHFs. catch it early. Wait, rabies? Rabies v- is a VHF. Oh, rabies is also a VHF? Uh, it, it's a, I think, well, maybe okay. it isn't. I don't remember. Rabies was the first movie. That's right. Hang on. Okay, I am still correct because there's not a cure for rabies. Really? It's over. It's according to this, according to the World Health Organization, it is overwhelmingly fatal. <laughs> Wait, I thought you were, there's like, you get a course of shots and that's it. I don't know. Hang on a second. Let me read a little further. <laughs> well, shit, folks. I'm learning some realities here. Okay, so if you catch it early. Yeah, if you catch it early, there is an immunoglobins that they can give you Mm -hmm. but like they have to catch it early once the clinical symptoms have have set in it's you fucked yeah yeah wow so wow okay yeah so uh, but similar to that actually slightly different because viral hemorrhagic fevers like ebola that's what i meant to say instead of rabies oh okay uh there isn't a cure for it right And if there was some sort of an antibody in a monkey, it would definitely take longer than 30 minutes for you to synthesize an antiserum. Yeah. Um, Okay. So it turns out that the military basically already has a serum for, there's two different strains of Motaba in the movie. Yeah. Because it developed a second strain. It developed a second strain. There's um, a bloodborne strain and then an airborne strain, basically. Right. So the bloodborne strain is the one that they found back in the 60s that they already have an antiserum for. Because the whole thing is this particular branch of the military were basically it had they had it set aside as a potential biological weapon to use at some point in the movie. In the movie. So they also had the antiserum ready to go just in case any of their people got exposed. Hmm. But uh so basically Morgan Freeman's character Billy shows up in this small town Cedar Creek with some of this antiserum for African Motaba, but unfortunately it doesn't work against Cedar Creek Motaba. So even using that existing antiserum as like a guideline, I still don't think it would only take 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, it would, it would, again, I'm not a virologist, but I would say it would probably take longer than that. It's not, this, this isn't adjusting the flavor of a soup. No. With adding a little bit of salt or, or a pinch of this or a pinch of that. Yeah. This is The acid's too high. Let's add a little bit of sugar. You know, hard, this is hard science. Yeah. And by hard science, I mean, I don't know how to do the science. So yeah. it's hard science. It's hard science. Because <laughs> uh, one of the other things in this, in this film is because they have this, they, because they have African Motaba and they've been setting it aside to use as like a potential biological weapon, mm-hmm. Donald Sutherland's character is... A an absolute douchebag and basically is trying to do everything he can to prevent them having to basically scrap this bioweapon that they've had. Human lives be damned. Right, exactly. Because they're basically, they do eventually decide, they get the the president to sign off on, it is actually in this film, it actually is called Operation Clean Sweep, where they're going to drop... A fuel air bomb? A fuel air bomb. It's like the, it, I think they call it, it's like the, the largest non-nuclear weapon that we have. Mm. Something like that. That's what they call it in the movie. Well, I, you know. Well, this was in 1995. So right. per the movie, this is the biggest thing that they have that's not nuclear. And it basically would vaporize the entire fucking town. In theory. Yeah. 
My thing with that is I feel like they didn't necessarily need to, like, you would still have your bioweapon because the whole thing, like, you have the anti-serum. Mm-hmm. And the people that you would be using it against don't. So how does you allowing Daniels to cure Cedar Creek Motaba and save all these people, how does that negate the capabilities of this biological weapon? The only thing I can think of is if word got out that these people were cured, then it would cease to be an effective weapon because there'd be less of a fear factor because they were like, oh, well, there's an anti-serum somewhere. What's your price? Fair. Okay. That or maybe it's just easy to make. I don't know. And why is it both of these movies involve the military just saying, oops, we dropped our weapon or oops, our weapon got out. Well, because in the... Put your shit away, folks. Well, because here's the thing. In The Crazies, it's an experimental biological weapon that is on a plane because it was on its way to an incinerator in Texas. Mm. And the plane crashed. Why did they have to ship it to Texas to incinerate it? I don't fucking know. I'm sure they have incinerators in wherever they actually were. There's incinerators all over the place. Folks. Yeah. Yeah. And the with so with Outbreak, they the whole them having this biological weapon is because there was a uh, it's a camp in Zaire in the 1960s mm-hmm. where all these people were just randomly getting sick and they came in, took some blood and then nuked the place, basically. Well, fuel air bombed it. But fuel yeah. air bombed it. Uh, well, but the carriers, the monkeys, were still there. Yeah. So that goes back to your whole crazies theory. What about the people that were out of town? Because in the crazies, before that quarantine took place, what if people got sick and then said, well, I have to go to Cedar Rapids or I have to go to Ottumwa or I have to go to Dubu- Dubuque or Des Moines or Davenport or Marshalltown or Mason City or... Just saying a lot of places in Iowa right now. I was in the Music Man, so that's why I know all these places. <laughs> <laughs> Clear Lake. Fair. Ought to give Iowa a try. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I sounded smart for a minute. No, you're good. I love you. Sart smart. The other thing I'm not a fan of with this particular movie is the fact that it just kind of stops. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Oh, and not only does it just kind of stop, but um, can we talk about... I know it was probably done for dramatic effect, but... yeah. Dustin Hoffman just takes off his life-saving PPE. I mean, to so so his dying ex-wife can touch his face. He still loves her, though. Right, and but he knows he, that they're on there. He knows they're working on a cure. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, why he's like, "No, it's fine." I still, it's it is a risk. Okay, that that is okay. It was very much a if she's going to die, I don't want to live either kind of thing. Which, okay, that's a stance, but, you know, there's that whole thing in Fast and the Furious with the, you know, the no-look driving thing. Yeah. Okay, that's risky. Mm-hmm. This is, like, a thousand times riskier because they've already noted that there's been one mutation. What's to say there hasn't been another one yet, a resistance strain, something like that? Come on, man. I don't know. I mean, wait till she's better then give her a hug or let her touch your face or whatever your thing is, you know? know. It's still a good movie, I think. It's, oh, and mad props to Salt, played by Cuba Gooding Jr., for that relatively long range, because this is a a tranquilizer dart gun, so we're not talking powder actuator, we're talking most likely compressed air fired. Iron sights, just kind of long extended arm shot, 
one shot and the best freeze frame of a monkey just going ever. It's so great. I love, no, the subtitles during that part just say indistinct monkey screeching. (laughs) Good grief. (laughs) I I mean, the movie has merits. I'll, I'll give it that. But just remember, it's got issues. It's got its own flavor. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Defo. Defo. Especially after the year we've had. Maybe we're getting... We're The whole reason we're doing this episode is, A, it's apropos, and B, it gives us an opportunity to kind of look back and be like, huh, eh, this is... We have, like, kind of similar experiences, I guess. Yeah, a shared experience. You can relate. And, I mean, maybe... You, Maybe you or a loved one, you know, had had to quarantine or be separated from someone. And that happens in this movie, too. Except, it's so sad. Oh, yeah. It's because it's a mom who's sick mm. and like her kids want to hug her goodbye. But she's like, no, you can't touch me. And, you know, she died. Sorry. I, I'm supposed to be sad. But all I'm hearing is can't touch this. No, I, I get it. That's yeah. fine. So I think that's going to do it for our film discussions for this week. We do have a couple of housekeeping things. Mm hmm want to say thank you so much to all of our listeners uh especially if you've been with us since episode one holy smokes like props to you because some of our shit gets buck wild yeah thank you also to the other podcasters writers content creators and stuff that have given us shout outs or that uh have interacted with uh either myself or david online yeah it it's nice to be part of such a great community Specific thanks I want to give Jed Shepard, Alex Payne, Tony Tubes, uh, Lucas at Blinders Off, uh, Andrew and Maddie with Fry Gave the 13th, Abigail at the Manic Pixie Weirdo podcast. Absolutely. Dahlia and Alma at Nightmare on Fifth. Hell yeah. Uh, Sheree at Nightmare on Fierce Street. Mm -hmm. And Liz at Perhaps It's You. So thank you, all of you. Some of you have offered us advice, which is super great. Some of us have just kind of commiserated or little comments mm-hmm. here and there. And it's just, it, it's nice to be part of such a welcoming community, which I feel like podcasting and the horror community are both very welcoming. Yes. And to be part of like the combined horror podcasters, it just feels even better. It's a, it's a warm hug with a creepy vibe. A little bit. Yeah. I also want to say thank you to anyone who's given us a review on Apple Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're up to nine reviews now. Holy shit. Uh, thank you in particular to Brandon T23, Kelsey Farius, and Save Me Sheehan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the people who have not only left us five-star reviews, but also little blurbs, which is nice. Yeah. If you haven't left us a review and you would like to do so, that would be awesome. Uh, you can give us reviews on not just Apple Podcast, but... You can listen to us through Audible, and so you can rate us on there, and also Google Podcast as well. So that's my big thanks. So based on the things that we've learned in the last year, we're going to be making some small changes. Mm -hmm. The main change we're going to make is we're probably going to stick to doing two to three films an episode. Uh, We have discovered that doing anything more than four is just too much oh god when we did friday the 13th that was oh my god yeah that was agony to edit yeah it's it's not great to research either and plus doing fewer films per episode will allow us to focus on those particular films rather than just doing random bits about like 
five to ten movies, which right. we've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, this also means that we may at some point go back and do movies that we did before, just to kind of give them a little bit more love. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And give it lots of love. We have also added a tier to our Patreon. Fantastic. So we now have a tier that is at $1 a month. Mm-hmm. For $1 a month, you become a test subject. Ooh. I know. Current patrons, we still have Lizzie, a.k.a. Carnage Candy, and Teresa, a.k.a. My Lovely Mother. Thank you both so much. I know. Thank you. Um, we have more instances recently where we've had to rent movies. And so your Patreon support uh, helps us to be actually be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think that is going to wrap it up for us. Thank you guys for being here for our first season. And we hope you stick around for season two. And tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend. Do whatever. Until next time, I'm Tia. And I am still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>